0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vago Radian here in Tampa, Florida for the National Defense Industrial Association's annual SOFIC conference and trade show. Our coverage here is sponsored by FLIR Systems. And uh, we're here with Tom Menker, who is the business development uh, man about town at uh, Air Tractor. Uh, you guys have this uh, beast of an airplane uh, here. It's a little incongruous driving by and, and seeing uh, you know an armored uh, uh, ground attack uh, aircraft. Last time you and I spoke uh, was. At the Dubai Air Show, uh, this time we got some rock and roll interfering with it. Last time it was an Su-30, as I recall, was going over, which made your juices flow. As a former F-15, uh, F-15 guy, um, the Air Force had not was in the process of making the down select from the full field of uh, aircraft that were uh, competing for the award uh, to the Beechcraft, to the uh, AT-6, and to the Sierra Nevada, being the prime contractor for the Super Tucano. Uh, you know, both of them modified for the the mission. Um, why were you guys not selected? Uh, and why are you here now uh, in terms of trying to press your case? You know, they, they neck down to those two competitors. Why, did, why were you guys weighted off the last time, and what are you trying to accomplish?
1: You're right, we didn't make it to phase two, but there are a few good reasons for that. Remember that LAE, of tech experiment, was really more about fighter pilot training and fighter pilot absorption, and to a lesser extent, partner capacity, which is why we think our aircraft meets those needs very, very well. We don't have an aircraft that does the acrobatics training, doesn't meet some of the other attributes that Air Combat Command specifically was looking for. But in terms of what Air Force Special Operations Command is looking for, U.S. SOCOM and our partner nations that are actively involved in the fight against terrorism in dealing with poaching, in dealing with narcotics trafficking, in dealing with human trafficking, we think that this platform, in terms of its multi-sensor capability, which is on display here today, and in terms of its affordability, its terms of its ability to be operated by our partner nations and by Air Force Special Operations Command in places like Africa, where there really is not much in terms of infrastructure. We spoke to General Todd Walters, the Air Force Africa commander this fall, and we asked him, hey, what's your biggest problem, your biggest challenge in terms of partner capacity in Africa? His answer, base access, runways, there aren't enough. Runways, no problem here, doesn't need a runway. Dirt strip, dirt road, dirt field uh, is all we need. So we think that our aircraft, in terms of its sensors, uh, in terms of its global reach, in terms of its ability to be flown by partner nations and Air Force Special Operations Command is a very unique answer. Uh, recently, the Mitchell Institute released a paper uh, written by a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Retired Buck that talked a lot about the next phase of the experiment called RX, or Reconnaissance Attack Experiment. Air Force talked a lot about a light ISR experiment run in sequence with or in parallel with light attack if we consider that light ISR might be more focused upon the needs of Air Force Special Operations Command and partner nations, and for that matter, even ACC, because this place, this aircraft can go a lot of places in MQ-9 and MQ-1 can't go because of basing. We think we offer a very uh, attractive, a very uh, great solution to deal with those combat capabilities that are so needed in the dark spots of the world today. Um, so talk to us, what's next? How do you
0: get in uh, through that window? I mean, the ACC requirement, as I recall, was in order to be able to do a Chandelle while raising and lowering your landing gear and pressurizing uh, your cockpit. Uh, it's a little bit hard to see how those elements come together in a, in a light attack unless you're looking at it from you know, a combat maneuverability standpoint right. and an altitude, but I believe you guys
1: are pressurized and rated up to 25,000 feet. We're unpressurized, but rated to 20,000 feet for the oxygen system, but realize that we don't fill that need for acrobatics training. The light attack experiment is probably a, a dead end for us because once again, we don't have that fighter pilot training requirement, fighter pilot absorption requirement that General Holmes, the ACC commander is looking for. But what we do offer is the multi-sensor array being able to go to austere locations, a global infrastructure system that's in place because we sold 3,500 air tractors worldwide. You need a flap, you need a brake, you need a new engine. We already got an infrastructure in place to deal with that. And go place or AFSOC needs to go based upon the mission and based upon the terrorist threat. So LAE probably not going to be a path for us because you know once again it's, it's fighter pilot training, fighter pilot absorption. Remember that in 2013, sequestration kicked in. <clears throat> Our fighter pilots couldn't fly as much as they needed to. We have a huge backlog of training. LAE and the the Phase two uh, airplanes that are uh, in that competition would likely fill a good uh, good role for them in, in building up that training piece. But we think we have a lot to offer the U.S. Air Force and Air Force Special Operations Command today.
0: So what is the timetable for that other competition that you're looking
1: at? It for? has not been announced, but the, the chief, General Goldfein, uh, the secretary have all spoken about their, the potential for a light ISR program. Timeline, I'll, I'll refer you to the chief and, and the secretary. Uh, I'm following them on Twitter, and so hopefully they'll be able to uh, let us know about that. Yeah, because there are no
0: RFPs really anymore. Everybody's just <laughs> responding to what they see on Twitter. Hey, wait a minute, I saw that. Let me, let me uh, go over it. Apparently works for the White House uh, last time I checked. So talk to us a little bit about the capability uh, that you guys have outfitted on the airplane now. Um, it's, it is a latter-day Sky Raider, which is what you guys are shooting for, and uh, dimensionally it does have that uh, imposing profile of a Sky Raider, which is one of my favorite airplanes, so I thought I'd get the shot, shot out there for the old SPAD. Uh, talk to us a
1: little bit about the ordinance and the ISR fit that you have on the airplane. This loadout you see today is focused upon sensors. We have four different stations equipped with sensors. <clears throat> On the far right is the Horizon Technology, <clears throat> excuse me, Flying Fish signals intelligence payload mated with an L3 MX-15 EOIR ball. It's rather simple in terms of the combination of the two, but gives you a substantial capability. In the nose turret, we have the Talus iMaster synthetic aperture radar. A significant improvement in terms of being able to monitor uh, maritime uh, areas, being able to monitor rivers, being able to monitor large expanses of desert, Egypt, Yemen, UAE, Saudi, where you have a lot of illegal activity taking place, a lot of ISIS activity taking place, or in Kenya, where you're you're monitoring a lot of movement by terrorist groups in Somali, uh, AQAP, Al-Shabaab, et cetera. So it gives you a significant improvement of having an inexpensive J Stars, an inexpensive P3, being able to monitor those, those areas. The TALIS I-Master is a significant improvement in the capabilities. On the far left wing, you have a BAE technical SIGINT payload. There is plenty of information about the capabilities of that uh, payload, but also uh, JSOC and Air Force Special Operations Command are very, very interested in terms of the dramatic improvement, the uh, profound changes in being able to target and being able to monitor bad guys wherever they may be be, uh, taking their activities and being able to monitor their conversations. On the far left wing, another simple EOIR ball made by Raytheon, it's the MTS Alpha, that gives the pilot in the front the ability to monitor one EOIR ball. The weapon system operator in the back can manage the second EOIR ball. So with that array of mission system, that array of sensors, you have a great deal of capability. Every time you hear the chief talk about the future of the Air Force, he talks about a networked force. Every aircraft is a sensor. Every aircraft is data linking and transmitting its information to other aircraft. This aircraft does that in a very large, or- in a very large way.
0: Um, and I uh, forgot to mention that in this uh, program, which was the longsword program, uh, you are partnered with L3, who is uh, one, of our, one of our sponsors uh, as well for our podcasts and our transcript, which is a, transcripts, which is a, a new feature that uh, we're rolling out. Now, Tom, um, this is a big, burly airplane. Tell us how you managed to get this into
1: sunny downtown Tampa. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> 802u.com and our Twitter page, at 802u, has the video of this aircraft landing at a small airfield four miles south, the wings being taken off, a truck attaching to the tailwheel, dragging the aircraft, towing the aircraft with police escort at 0200 in the morning, driving it here, truck behind it with a flatbed with the wings. The wings were reattached and all this is on video and the world can see it. It was a pretty, a pretty impressive feat. But imagine that anywhere that you need to take an aircraft in the back of a C-17 or any, any place in the world. If you have a tow truck, if you have a pickup truck and a flatbed truck and a C-17 to get the resource there, we'll have an airplane ready to go, ready to go <laughs> into harm's way. So you're right, it is a big airplane, 16,000 pound gross weight on takeoff airplane. Empty, it's 8,000 pounds. So you have 8,000 pounds now of payload to manage. Part of that's gas, part of that's weapons, part of that's payload. But that gives a combat, uh, a combatant commander a great array of options, whether he's dealing, managing a dirt strip flying from a dirt strip in Africa, or he's flying from a uh, a full concrete runway out of Italy. A lot of combat capability that uh, can be managed.
0: And uh, and anybody who loves airplanes likes the notion of a tail dragger uh, pretty much going uh, anywhere. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were at the RAF 100, and uh, I got uh, a front seat ride and a steerman all the way across Dulles Airport. Right. Uh, and uh, Heather Penny was uh, was piloting. Uh, it's uh, her and Doug Berkey's uh, uh, airplane, and uh, it was it was just a real once in a lifetime uh, uh, once in a lifetime treat. Um, and you guys are about thousand dollars cost per flying hour. Am I about right? You know, as as that That's model.
1: It's A little steep. We're, we're less than that. 2.5 million flight hours in the AT-802 Alpha, the spray plane, and the F, the firefighting plane, and the 802F Fuel Boss. Looking at those three aircraft over 2.5 million flight hours, those three were $700 per flight hour. When you begin adding military equipment, that price goes up, but it does not exceed 1000 We don't have a lot of, we don't have a significant empirical data to offer you an exact number. But let's look at the 802 Alpha. Foxtrot, Fuel Boss, Fire Boss. 2.5 million flight hours, we've amortized it out, it's 70, 700 bucks an hour. So we think that our uh, resource-constrained allies, for that matter, the US-constrained the US taxpayer, uh, can, can be rather confident that in this product, you'll be getting a lot of bang for your dollar.
0: And uh, from a uh, battle damage survivability, one of the things I mean I remember being uh, at a Navy League many many years ago, and uh, three of the aviators that I was talking I was talking to at the time all had Skyraider time, yep. uh, and uh, they they were part of the group that transitioned to A fours, uh, and they were basically saying, look, the you know the problem with counterinsurgency aircraft like this, you know, prop driven, low altitude, there's a reason, Vago, we shifted to A fours and other ways of getting uh, munitions and ordnance on target, you know, what what are the potential vulnerabilities? from your standpoint and what are the potential opportunities? Right, why why is this today different than what it was? Because this is a point that does come up occasionally when you talk to people, no matter which one of the aircraft it is. But let's talk more specifically about your survivability, but overall survivability for this class of airplane in this battle space.
1: You're right, as you were alluding, uh, even if you're in a a permissive environment, there's still that golden BB. There's still a chance of of a man pad showing up unexpectedly. Remember this aircraft flew in Columbia for over 12 years in the cocaine eradication program. In that 12-year window, we perfected the armored cockpit, the ballistic glass, the armored engine, the titanium nose cone, the uh, self-sealing fuel tanks. This aircraft was hit by small arms more frequently than it was not. Aircraft came back riddled with gun holes on a very routine basis, so it's demonstrated it's very, very survivable. Let's take it to the next step, and if you have a man-pad threat, you have a huge wing, as you can see, on which you could put a variety of uh, aircraft uh, protection packages that could deal with a heat threat, a man-pad threat, and deal with it rather effectively. You know, whether you went with a three sensor, a four sensor, or a five sensor, uh, you know, countermeasure system, the ability for that aircraft to deal with that threat we think is going to be rather substantial.
0: And, and then of course you can laze and you've got some reach in order to get over there as opposed to dropping snake eyes on somebody.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, it's all, that's all about how you manage your, your weapons engagement zone. Ideally, you operate an area where you have an exclusive weapons engagement zone where the bad guy can shoot, but the weapons don't quite make it. And you're operating with autonomy and it becomes a rather asymmetric threat. I think that's the best way of looking at this aircraft. It may seem like a low-tech tail dragger, AKA Sky Raider or a, a, P-40, a P-47, but in terms of its technology, giving you an asymmetric capability against an adversary in places like Africa, Southeast Asia, it's a pretty profound advantage. All these sensors allow that, they're mated with high tech weapons that give you standoff, whether it's a Hellfire missile, a, a Paveway, a GBU 12 bomb. Your ability to stay out of harm's way and use standoff to your advantage is one of the things that this aircraft gives you, all with being able to base at a dirt field somewhere, all with being able to rely upon a a global uh, infrastructure system to sustain the aircraft as well.
0: Uh, So you were a 15 driver, have you taken uh, an opportunity to fly
1: uh, the air tractor? I have, it's maneuverable. Don't don't let anyone fool you, this is not a maneuverable aircraft. There's plenty of of YouTube videos of this aircraft being flown over crops at 10 feet or five feet uh, above the ground, end of the crop row, a big pop, a big roll and re-attack because those crop dusters know it's all about reducing their time when they're not putting out spray. If they can collapse that down to the, the minimum possible, uh, maximum possible, then they're saving cash. So it's maneuverable, don't, don't let anyone fool you. And do you have to worry about torque uh, when you uh, firewall the throttle? No, I mean, the 67F is a, is a very reliable, stable engine. You know, it's, it's a, many versions of the PT6, the one in the Super Tacano, it's a constant RPM prop. This prop, because it's so large, it's a five-blade, five-foot prop, uh it, it operates at a very low rpm when you're cruising it's only 1300 rpm wow. when you're takeoff it's only 1700 rpm wow. so if you're cruising RPMs at a 1300 and you're and you're manipulating your your throttle there's not going to be a lot of whiplash but you know, it's an aircraft that has big wings uh and as a result a pilot has to have very active feet managing those rudders, so, n- <laughs> Which, nature
0: of the beast. N- nature of the beast, and uh, something that an F-16 pilot, for example, would, would not have to worry about. It's one thing to have the airplane, but it's also another thing to have sort of all the mission systems and for customers to sort of get a sense on all the data that's coming off the airplane being dis- uh, displayed. Uh, your partner Moog uh, has a little van here. Talk to us a little bit about what they're seeing when they're in that in that van in terms of what's coming off the airplane.
1: You're right, it is important because even though you have all these sensors, going to a mission system, in this case the L3 Force X Widow, connecting that information to the Moog Stores management system, all that has to be interconnected. The MOG van, here today, is able to show you how all those systems interoperate. And more importantly, they show you how the Force X Widow mission system really is the same system as they have on the AFSOC U-28 and the AFSOC AC-130 gunship. The operating system is the same on all three of those aircraft, Each is unique and has its own specific name because of the accessories on it. But the OS in the AC-130, the U-28, and the Force X-Widow is the same. What's unique about this aircraft, of course, is all HOTAS, hands on throttle, and stick mechanization. U-28, it's a console and a keyboard. Same with the AC-130, multiple inputs. But you're fusing a variety of sensors via a storage management system into a mission management system and the van will be able to afford people the chance to see that mission system U-28 version and the uh, Forcex Widow mission system side by side, so special operators who have flown these aircraft can have a better appreciation yet about the similarities and how it's very easy for them to transition to this platform if, if so desired.
0: Tom, always a pleasure, always a treat talking to you. As Best as well. of luck with the much. program, and uh, look forward to uh, coming back for the demonstration uh, because I understand you guys are going to be showing the multi-mission system tomorrow, so we want to come back and yeah, take exactly. a look at that.
1: We're eager to show you guys that. That's The, uh, the mission system is very unique Uh, mission-enhancing capability unique to this aircraft, We're, we're seeing.